following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. With you, if you will, look with me in Matthew uh, 21 this morning. Matthew 21, we're glad that you're here. Pray for those who are not here, whether sickness or other issues, pray for them. You know, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you, and hopefully that will be the case today, man. Matthew 21, and looking at verse 1, the Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, they sent, then sent uh, Jesus to disciples, and saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught <clears throat> unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And it says, the foal of an ass. It says here, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and colt, and put on them their clothes, and set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut, cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. My main text is verse 5, where the Bible says, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meet, meek and sitting upon an ass, the colt, a colt the foal of an ass. I'd like to preach on this subject this morning, our conquering king, our conquering king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, as we look into thy word this morning, Father, thank you for the eternal word of God that you've left for us. And Father, thank you that we don't have to wonder about things. We have a book that'll tell us and a God that wants us to know. And I pray, Father, as we look at this subject this morning, Father, thank you that when you came to this earth the first time you did come as a conquering king, although the world missed it. Lord, we know that one day during the millennial reign of Christ, you will sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem, and you will be a king, even as you are now, but you'll sit as the king upon this earth. And Father, Lord, help us to see you today. Help us to see our conquering king. Father, may we rejoice and praise your name for your goodness. I pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Again, our conquering king. Here in our text this morning, we see the record of what is known as the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem. It was really the celebration of a victorious king's return to home. And yet here is this Jesus of Nazareth, a carpenter, the prophet of God, now being hailed and received as a conquering king. And what, what a seeming contradiction that the same crowd who were receiving him now as a conqueror would not much longer be crying out for his crucifixion. You know, you know people are fickle sometimes, amen? One time they're like this, they, they think this way, and then another time they're like some, something else. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, though the Bible says in our text in verse 5, Behold, thy king cometh meek, and sitting upon an ass, the colt, the foal of an ass. He did not just come as a meek person. He did come as a conqueror. And I want us to focus on this morning our conquering king, and if you will, what that that entails or what that involves. All right, first of all, I want us to see the weapons of his conquering. Now, in verse 5, we don't see any weapons. You know, generally speaking, you know, if a conquering king would come in, he would come in in a chariot and there would be some weapons with him, and then the army would be marching in with him and what have you. But here our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, if you will, the carpenter, is now coming, but he doesn't come with a trial or what have you. He just comes a plain and simple man, a meek man, and it would seem without weapons, and yet... I think as, as we look into the scripture more closely, I can find, I want us to see that he did have some great and mighty weapons at his disposal that he did use and continues to use to conquer. The weapons, if you will, look with me to 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul spoke of our Christian service, our life for the Lord as a warfare in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, looking at verses 3 and 4. Here the Apostle Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking of our Christian life and service for him as a warfare. And there are times when it does seem that way more than others. And even our Lord Jesus Christ, as he comes in a conquering king, has and continues to be involved in a spiritual uh, warfare, even as Paul was speaking of. And I want to talk about, first of all, the weapons of his conquering, the weapons of his conquering. You know, the Lord, though we don't see weapons, though we don't see what looks like any swords or shields or what have you, we do see some mighty weapons. First of all, the weapon of his love. If you will, look at me the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. <clears throat> That's after the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, amen. <clears throat> and just before Isaiah, Song of Solomon. <clears throat> and chapter 8, and looking, if you will, to verses 6 and 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and looking at verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, and jealousy is as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are the coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. You know, here the Lord is speaking of the, of the mighty power of love and particularly in hinting at the love of God. In John 3 and 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, it was uh, uh, God in the person of his Son that went to the cross of Calvary and won a great victory on that cross. And when he rose from the dead, if you look with me to John 15, John 15 and verse 13, John 15 and <clears throat> verse 13. Here the Bible says Jesus taught his disciples greater love. John 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he's speaking of in this verse the fact that the greatest love that man could come up with is a love that might cause him to be willing to die for a friend. But God's love is greater and mightier than all that. All the human love that could be mustered throughout the ages, God's love is greater because Christ died for us when we were his enemies. We became his friends by grace through faith in him. But folks, without the love of God, a love that would cause him to go ahead and die for his enemies, we'd not have an opportunity to be reconciled to him, to be the friends of God, to be accepted of him. We're talking about the weapons of his conquering, not only the weapon of love, but secondly, the weapon of his mercy. Look with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> And we'll look at verse 1, Matthew chapter 9. Excuse me, look at verse 10. Here in Matthew 9, looking at verse 10, the Bible says, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Now whose house is he in? Uh, Matthew the publican has been saved by the grace of God, living for the Lord. He's brought him to his house. And they're set down with a bunch of other sinners. Amen. And when the Pharisees... Um, saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that hold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now he's dealing with the Jews, the religious leadership that were focused on uh, thinking that, you know what, they can find mercy with God through offering sacrifices. Folks, the, uh, if you will, <clears throat> mercy is, is, is defined as the benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, compassion, which leads one who has been offended to forgive the offender. You know, God has chosen 
to show mercy to sinful man as the offender, the offended, to the offender, you and I as sinners, amen? And uh, God shows, uh, desires to show kindness and love and care for us, if you will, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, the sacrifice, as he says in verse uh, uh, 13, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. They imagine that if they offer all these sacrifices regularly, surely they'd find mercy with God. The mercy that they could find with God is in the faith of the one that the sacrifices represented. That is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And here Christ himself is sitting down with sinners. He desires to have compassion, show mercy to people that don't deserve it. We don't deserve mercy. We don't deserve to be, uh, if you will, forgiven. And yet, God desires to show mercy. He wants to show mercy to you and I, even though we don't deserve it. Because God is a God of mercy. A God that desires to show mercy to offenders. As we are in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And looking at verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34. And verses 6 and 7. You know, some people struggle with the idea that they're a sinner, that they're, they have somehow offended a holy God, and yet we have. And all of us have, folks. There's not a person, not a, not a person who's ever lived or ever will live that has not and will, has not and will not offend a holy God by his, his uh, behavior, sin. In Exodus 34 and verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord passed before him, or Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. God is a God of great mercy, folks, and thanks be to God that he is. Amen. It is one of those weapons that conquers like no other. God uses the weapon of his love. He uses the weapon of mercy. Look at me to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 and verse 5. <clears throat> Psalm 100 and uh, verse 5. You know, if you ha- need a Bible, there could be one in your pew. And if not, there may be one in the back, on the back table. Avail yourselves of it because that's what we use here. Amen. In Psalm 100 and verse 5, the Bible says plainly, For the Lord is good. Amen. God, you know, God is good. You know, sometimes people have a ma- they, they imagine that God is just some big bad bully waiting to whoop up on us. And he's not. God is good. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. Thanks be to God that God is good and his mercy is everlasting. In Titus chapter 3, in Titus chapter 3, we're talking about the weapon of his mercy. And folks, you know what? There's nothing that can stand against a weapon like the mercy of our God. If you will, in Titus chapter 3 and looking at verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, dis, uh, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and, and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus, excuse me, Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, he says that God saves us by his mercy. God chooses when you and I come and cry out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God chooses, chooses because he's good, he's loving, chooses to forgive us as offenders. Again, knowing that we don't deserve it. God loves us anyway and desires to show mercy to us. And then, if you will, the last weapon we want to talk about, it's not the only weapons, but I think these are the three most powerful weapons, the weapon of his love, the weapon of his mercy, and thirdly, the weapon of his grace. Look with me to Titus 2, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Folks, God wants all men to see and to know about the love and mercy and grace of God. It's appeared to us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the word grace is the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God by which we are pardoned and forgiven. Pardoned. You know, folks, a complete 
and full pardon. Not a probationary pardon, not a pardon for what's been in the past, but God pardons us for all. The past, the present, and the future sin. Man, what, there's, there's never been a pardon. There's never been grace like the grace that God bestows upon us through his love. If you look with me to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> and verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And understand this, folks. Baptism is a work that cannot give you the grace of God. Uh, no, religious, no religious observance can bring to you the grace of God. God freely has to offer to us love and mercy through his grace, a pardon and a forgiveness. It's given to us as a gift. It's not given to us because we deserve it. And let me ask you this. You know, when we, <clears throat> when we give gifts to our family or friends or what have you, either on their birthday or Christmas or what have you, what, is there ever a thought in our mind, well, maybe in some of our minds, we wonder, do they deserve this? Now, we might think in those terms. God, you know what? God knows that we don't deserve any of his gifts, and yet God chooses to give us a gift anyway because he loves us now you know what when sometimes when we're dealing with our families we say i'm not sure they deserve it either but because we love them we give to them amen god is greater and what a weapon you know a weapon like grace you know there's nothing that can compare to the weapon of his grace outside of his love and a mercy. Look with me to John 1, John 1 and verse 14. John 1 and verse 14. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, And the Word, which is God, we find that. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me was preferred before me, for he was before me. And of, of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Folks, the pardon and forgiveness of sins comes to us through a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is grace personified. Amen. And he has all the grace necessary to conquer sin. He has all the mercy necessary to, to pardon an offender. Folks, he has all the love necessary to deal with the issues of sin. God loves us, amen. He is a conquering king. And those are some of the weapons of his warfare. But let's talk secondly. Look back to Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 5. Matthew 21 and verse 5. Well, as we look at our text, the Bible says, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, verse 5, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Well, we didn't see any weapons, and yet we know the Bible teaches that there are some mighty weapons that are conquering king, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. Though he does not yet sit upon an earthly throne, he is on the throne in heaven now. Amen. And he's coming again. But uh, we want to talk secondly about the casualties of his conquering. You know what? If a king's going to conquer, there are going to be some casualties. There are going to be some casualties. Where there's warfare, where there's war, there are casualties. And so let's talk about some of the casualties of his conquering. The first one is sin is a casualty of his conquering. Folks, you know what, folks? Sin... Sin God wants to put to death through the work of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look with me to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 10. Romans 3, looking at verse 10. <clears throat> the Bible says here, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. 
They're all uh, gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. Excuse me, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, it talks, that, that is in, in some sense a picture of our world and the way man behaves in it. Amen. But it says, now we know, verse 19, that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, the law of God teaches us one thing. One important and, and a, a, a perilous thing is that, it, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says plainly, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Look with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 this morning. <clears throat> Isaiah 53, and let's look, if you will, to verse 4. Isaiah 53 and verse 4. The Bible says, speaking prophetically of Christ, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a picture, a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ as the sin bearer, as the substitute, as the one, if you will, who alone by himself can purge or conquer our sins. If you will, look with me to (coughs) Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. beginning in verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He alone, he alone could conquer sin and did in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is a casualty of his conquering. Not only that, the second casualty is the seriousness of death is a casualty of his conquering. You know, death is a, a fearful thing for most people. You know, one of the things that has created such a stir in our world today is all the, the, uh, the hype about COVID. And at the end of the hype about COVID is the serious problem of dying from it. You know, so many people have been made, led to believe that if you get COVID, you're just dead. You're gone. It's over. And yet, you know, there have been thousands, if not millions, who've gotten it and survived, but... All this reminds us of is the fact that death is a serious issue and people are afraid of death. People are afraid of death, often because they don't know what's going to happen when they die. They're not sure where they're going to go when they die. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, an enemy of man, if you will. Uh, look with me to uh, Romans 6 and 23. Romans 6 and 23. <clears throat> The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And we'll stop there. I always like to point this out. The word death, in its essence, means separation. We are separated from our body when we die, and we will live somewhere forever, either heaven or hell. There's no in-between. There's no plan B. It's heaven or it's hell. But he goes on to say here, and he's, in the death he speaks of, because of sin is eternal separation from God and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ. Or he's talking about, if you will, after death, having uh, the privilege and the blessing to go home to be with the Lord. You know, folks, in a sense, when Christ died and rose again, he died and rose again for our sin. He's conquering sin, the thing that separates us from God, the thing that will condemn us to hell. He deals with that. And folks also, in the sa- at the same time, deals with the, serious, uh, the seriousness of death in Matthew 25 and 41. Matthew 25 and 41. <clears throat> it's a very serious thing. As a matter of fact, here in Matthew 25 and 41, This is a parable about God's judgment. And uh, verse 41, he's talking about that God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The goats are going to go to a place called, uh, a place prepared for the devil. Verse 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Folks, that's what awaits those who die without Jesus Christ, who die not having let Christ be their conqueror, amen? Not having put their faith and trust as the one who, one and only one who could conquer their sin, they will die. If you will, look with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> First Corinthians 15, let's begin in verse 51. First Corinthians 15 and 51. Here the Bible says, <clears throat> verse, yeah, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And he's talking about death. And for the Christian, he's, you know what death is? It's like falling asleep. <clears throat> Most people, when they fall asleep, are not terrified by sleep. Sleep is a comforting thing. To die in the Lord is to fall asleep in Jesus. But he goes on to say here, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So in this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You know why, folks, people fear death? Is because I think at times in their heart of hearts they know, you know what? When I die, something's going to have to be done about my sin. To die without Jesus Christ, to die without trusting in his sacrifice and letting him save you by his mercy and grace is to die and pay for your own sin. Suffer for your own sin in hell. But yet God speaks of a victory over sin, over death. He says in verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a victory. There is a a, a casualty of his conquering. Not only sin is a casualty of his conquering, but death is a casualty of his conquering. You know, the Lord is coming again. And you know, folks, when the rapture happens, we may, in this, you know what? I'm looking forward to the Lord coming. And I look forward to the fact that one of these days God's going to blow the trumpet and we're going home. We're not going to go home through the valley of the shadow of death. But we're going to go home in answer to the trumpet of God. And folks, God's going to have an angel blowing a trumpet and he's going to say, come on home. The victory is yours. Amen. Because he and he alone is our conqueror. Look with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 1. Here Paul writes, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now he's talking about our bodies. He's talking about a new body, an eternal body in heaven. For this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We just read about that earlier. And uh, he says here, If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also 
hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. You know, folks, I'm going to be 61 this year. I may not go when the rapture happens. What's wrong, preacher? If it doesn't happen in my lifetime. If I die in the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Great hope, great confidence we can have that God in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, our conquering King Christ has conquered death. We shouldn't have to fear death, amen? There are times I know sometimes Chloe would like to kill me because I'm always attacking her personally. She's like, oh, never, Pastor. Remember, we're in church, be honest. Amen. <clears throat> but you know what? Thanks be to God. If we die in the Lord, we will be with the Lord. Amen. One of the, one of the uh, casualties of his conqueror is sin. Not only that, the seriousness of death. And if you will, <clears throat> lastly and very importantly, Satan also is a casualty of his conquering. You know what a blessing that Satan's going to have his day. Amen. Look with me to Genesis 3 and 15. <clears throat> Genesis 3 and verse 15. Here we see early on the essence of the gospel. In Genesis 3 and verse 15, and it was important. This is the first time the gospel is preached openly. It's preached to God. It's preached by God to people who are condemned by God. Amen. And I will put between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now he's talking about the enmity, the hatred between God and man, and God and Satan. Also, man enjoys enmity or hatred because of our sin with God, and yet God not only will conquer as a conquering king, a sin and death, but also Satan, who helped bring sin into the world. When he tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted them to sin against God, to violate his law. Only one law. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One law, one rule. But man made a choice against himself, and yet God will conquer not only sin and death, but also Satan who brought it into this world. If you look with me to John 19, John 19, looking at verse 28, John 19, looking at verse 28 to 30. Bible says here in John 19, looking at verse 28, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, filled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar. How many of you like vinegar? full of vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it up to his mouth put it to his mouth and when jesus therefore had received the vinegar he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost now you know something we imagine now think with me for just a moment we imagine that man destroyed jesus christ jesus christ gave up the ghost he, he, the Bible says in John 10 that he gave his life and can take it again. No man took it from him. He gave it up for you and I. He gave up the ghost. He died for you and I that he might, be, uh, that he might conquer sin and, and uh, death and Satan himself. And when he cried, it is finished, those, you know what, sometimes people want to make out that somehow Christ was this pathetic, long-haired wimp hanging on the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross of Calvary as a conqueror, not as one who'd been conquered, amen? He gave up his life, and then he came out of the grave because he had the power not only to lay it down, but the power to take it again, amen? What a blessing, he conquered sin, death, and Satan. If you look with me at Colossians chapter uh, 2, Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> look at verses 13 through 15. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all transgression, all trespasses. You know, folks, when Christ rose from the dead, we put our faith and trust in him. He forgives us all of our trespasses. He says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know, folks, all, all the things we were guilty of, all the accusations made against us by the law, our own condemnation was nailed to the cross of Calvary. He bore all of our misdeeds. He died for all of our wrongdoing. He died as one who was somehow guilty and yet not. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. Folks, Christ triumphed over sin and Satan as well when he died and rose again the third day. Look at me to Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that he that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Folks, do you see that Christ took upon him the flesh of man, became a man, he died in our place as our substitute. And he died and shed his precious blood. He suffered for you and I so that he could not only conquer sin and death, but the devil himself. You know, the devil, you know, the devil wants to take as many people to hell with him as possible. And folks, you know, the only thing that stands between you and that happening is whether or not you'll choose to believe and trust Christ and what he's done for you. Amen? If you will... <clears throat> Look with me to 1 John 3, 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> and look at verses 8 through 10. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It's not that he can never sin, but, you know, Christians do sin, but we don't, we, you know what, folks, we do not continue in the old life of sin after we're saved, because God has predetermined that we will be conformed to the image of his Son. Amen. He's going to change us. We're a new creature. It goes on to say, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. But it says here that for this purpose, verse 8, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. The chief work is sin, and then there's the death, but God himself is, will conquer, and, death, and uh, sin, death, and the devil will be conquered. Look with me to Revelation 20 and verse 10. Revelation 20 and 10. And the devil that deceived them, he's deceived the world, was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know what, folks? The devil's going to get what's coming to him. And you know, God is a long-suffering God. Now, the devil can never be saved. He saw God in his glory. He saw God as a holy God, and he chose to rebel against him. But you and I, you and I can be saved, amen? If you're not saved, folks, the Lord loves you. He wants to conquer sin. He wants to conquer death. He wants to conquer the devil in your life, amen? He wants to give you victory. Folks, Christ is a conqueror. The weapons of his conquering are his love, his mercy, and his grace. And the casualties are sin, death, and Satan. What a blessing. And lastly, Let's talk, let's talk about the, the peace that comes by his conquering. You know what? When, a, when a, a king conquers another king or another land or what have you, there should be a point where finally there's peace. When God, through Jesus Christ, conquered, he conquered to bring peace to your heart. Amen? 
Now, we're not going to have, you know, a lot of people in, in this world clamor for peace, peace, peace. The Bible says there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. We're not going to have peace in this world until the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, sits on the throne in, in Jerusalem, in the temple, as king. Amen. Then we'll see what real peace on this earth is like. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Folks, he's speaking of the, not only the present, but the future. And he is the prince of peace. Before he rules in Jerusalem, he wants to rule here. He wants you to make him, he wants you to make him your king. He wants you to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. If you look with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone, shone round about them. And they were afraid, sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign... Unto you you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, you know what? Some might look at that and say, show me peace on the, on the earth. I can show you thousands, if maybe not millions, who have peace in their heart right now. Peace in their heart right now on this earth. See, God doesn't say, say something and, that, and then he's, he's talking about peace on this earth. The promise of peace is already here. Many millions have already found the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. They know they're going to heaven. They know their sins are forgiven. They know, folks, nothing can keep them from the Lord and heaven itself. Amen. What a blessing. If you will, John 14. John 14. <clears throat> Looking at verse 27. John 14 and verse 27. <clears throat> now Jesus is going to go away. And he says this. You know, he's, he's preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to die on the cross of Calvary. He's going to rise from the dead and he's going to go ascend to heaven. But he says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. It's a gift, amen. <clears throat> not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what? Right now, people are in constant fear. Constant fear because of COVID. And you know what? Now we have new strains of it. And and the antibodies, any resistance you have, it's going to go away. There's a lot of lies in that. But, folks, you know what? For those of us who know the Lord, no matter what's going on in the world around us, God wants us to have peace in Him. Amen. He doesn't want us to live in fear of what's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of crazy things that are going to happen before the Lord comes again. There are. But you know what? He says, let not your heart be troubled. God's given us a peace that the world cannot give. You know what, folks? Vaccination is not the answer. It might help. It might help with COVID. But it won't help with a lack of peace that people are experiencing in their heart. If it weren't COVID, it'd be something else. Have you noticed how much the price of gas is going up? 
was talking to a visitor today, and she was talking about, yeah, <laughs> the price of gas. Amen. I, I looked at it, and I thought, wow. It's gone up, I think, 30 cents in the last week or maybe two weeks. Wow. How am I going to be able to ride my snowmobile, my 4-4? I don't have boy toys. Amen. But you know what, folks? People are afraid of everything. The economy, it's going, it's, it's going to tank. What are we going to do? Well, God hasn't died. Amen. And the peace of God can still reign in our hearts through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. No matter what's going on in the world, God says, peace I leave with you. One day he's going to, you know what? I look forward to the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to be there. We're going to see Christ, the rejected one, the defamed, the denied one, whatever, sitting and ruling as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to show this. And you know what? His kingdom is not going to be a harsh kingdom. He's going to rule with justice, rule with a rod of iron, but folks, he's still always a God of love, mercy, and grace. He still will be conquering sin, uh, death, and Satan in the lives of those who will hear him and receive it. Amen. He'll still be doing that. In Acts 10, Acts 10, Look at verse 36. Let's start in verse 34. Then, open, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Peace can only come to our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ, receiving the mercy, love, and grace of God in Christ. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. And look with me to verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, speaking of Christ, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, speaking of Christ, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether there be things in earth, or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Now, you know what's sad is that when I hear of, of uh, marriages that collapse and families that are ruined, and they're often it's ruined because of sin, and you try to, even the goal of a pastor, to try to somehow reconcile husband and wife, to spare the, the relationship, to spare the home, what have you. And yet sometimes it's to no avail. It doesn't happen. You know, to be reconciled is to bring two people that don't agree, maybe even hate each other, together again. You know, God in Christ, you know, Christ is called the one, the Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Christ stood between heaven and earth, between us and God on the cross of Calvary, suffered shame, he suffered uh, a death for you and I, that he might bring us to God. Amen? Reconcile us. You know what? And so making peace with God. A peace that cannot be taken away. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're reconciled to God, no longer the enemy of God, no longer the hated of God, now the loved of God, beloved of God. What a blessing. And so, peace. In Romans 8, Romans 8. <clears throat> You know, folks, our King, our Lord Jesus Christ in our text, came, made a triumphant entry as a conquering king into Jerusalem. Now, you know what? His, his coming, first coming, did not impress a lot of people. Even his first coming into Jerusalem. But understand this, folks. You know what? He didn't come as one conquered. 
he came as one conquering and to conquer. And, and through him, you know what, folks? Through him, we can, have, uh, we can have the weapons of his conquering. You know what, folks? In our lives, those weapons can be used. The weapon of his love, the weapon of his mercy, the weapon of his grace. In our dealings with other people, our dealings with God. And folks, we can see the casualties of sin, death, and Satan. We can see victory over those things. And I'll tell you something, folks. We can have peace like no other one can give it to us. But he says in Romans 8, in verse 37, Nay, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know what? Though I hate to say, the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said, know this, if they hated you, they hated me before they hated you. Don't expect the, the unsaved world to do anything but hate you sometimes in what you stand for. I'm not saying we should go out and strive to be hated. But sometimes we're going to be hated because we are not like the world anymore. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. They would like to malign us. Right now, our own government and people within our government are, are crying out against Christians as if they're insurrectionists, conservatives, Christians, as if they're insurrectionists and all kinds of things. And it may only get worse. It may only get worse. But understand this. We are not going to be conquered. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I don't care what happens to us here on this earth. You know, the devil may unleash the legions of hell through our government and who knows what. But you know what, folks? We're on the winning side. Even as Christ conquered, we'll be conquerors. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.